Welcome back to the Midtown Madness podcast. Uh, it's your hosts, Zach Miller and Pete Hale. Um, we're going to try to bring the energy today. Uh, I know it was a little tempered uh, by the Friday night activities uh, of the men's basketball team, but, but we're here. We love our Billikens uh, athletics, and, and we're here to talk about it. So, uh, Pete, how are you doing on this Sunday? I'm good, Zach, as, as well as I can be, uh, you know, less than two days removed from that game. But, uh, but I'm doing all right. How about you? Yeah, you know, I, I think I, it's – yes, it's funny. Today I put on this, this, this uh, pullover to record. I like to wear something Billikens when I record. Uh, but yesterday I made a point to not uh, – to, to emotionally separate myself from yeah. – uh, from kind of Billiken in general. I don't think I – I watched the end of the Dayton game on Saturday and then, you know, rewatched it this morning for the podcast the, – the, sorry, the women's Dayton game. But I, I kind of didn't watch any – the baseball, the volleyball. I just kind of let it all go and figured I would, I would revisit it in the morning today, which was nice. I, you know, I, I got to emotionally kind of detach for a minute and, and remind myself that there's more important things in life. So – yeah. Um, cause after that kind of game, you just, it, it just puts you in such a shit mood, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Um, we got some great questions about, and, and topics from our, from our friends and, and listeners out there. Uh, but, uh, we're going to start off and, and this is, I want to thank, uh, uh, Keishu, Kevin, um, for, for the suggestions and everybody who's given us suggestions because, um, this is a process we're working on. I've never run. I haven't been the the the, the brains, the technical brains behind a podcast. Uh, Peter's new to it. He does amazing over there. But uh, you know, we're both new to uh, these different uh, roles, I guess. Um, so we're, it's a process. So I want to thank everybody for the feedback that has been given to us um, in this episode. Obviously, we're going to talk about that Dayton game. Um, we're going to talk some women's hoops. Uh, we had Noah Goldberg from uh, ESPN Richmond on, uh, and he was amazing. He gave us some some inside insight into the uh, the dr- the COVID drama that happened earlier this season, and and we look forward to the Richmond game as well as he gave us a little insight on VCU, which was pretty awesome. Uh, we also have a women's soccer game to talk about, but we're going to really try to focus more on on, on men's and uh, men's basketball, and then and then women's basketball, just based on the feedback we've. Uh, we've been given by, uh, by our generous listeners. Um, start off, uh, the Billiken men's basketball team. Obviously, you guys all watched it. Uh, if you're listening to this pod, well, first of all, let's talk about the big news in the A-10. Uh, the men's basketball tournament has been moved from the third to the sixth. The preliminary rounds will be held in Richmond, Virginia. They have essentially swapped uh, the men's and women's basketball tournament. Men's will be third through the 6th of March in Virginia, and then the final March 14th at UD Arena, which is – we'll talk about that. And then the women will be playing at VCU the 10th through the 14th. Peter, give me your initial reaction to this news. I, my initial reaction was confusion. I wasn't sure that I was reading everything right because there was a lot that came with it at once. It wasn't just, <laughs> hey, we're, we're, taking, we're taking the tournament – and we're moving it up a whole weekend. I really question my intelligence reading the the every everything about like the seating and the location. I just start questioning how dumb I am. 
Yeah, it, it, it was it was so surprising. And then and not only that, to then say, well, the final is still going to be on the 14th, but we're moving it to Dayton um, for whatever reason. And then um, not only that, but we're going to switch up all of the last weekend games of the year. So SLU's game against George Mason is now out. And instead, we play UMass on the uh, on the 28th to finish the regular season. So there was there was a lot to process all at once in this, and I, I'm still not sure that I completely understand all of the moves. We were just when we were talking to Sully a few days ago, um, we talked about the possibilities of what the A10 might do with that free week between the end of the regular season and the A10 tournament. Well, it turns out they just got rid of it, moved up the tournament, and then. I don't want to say stack the deck, but they definitely made, they gave their top seeds a chance to have some more quality wins. Um, they really tried, Billikens. They tried they to help you out. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, and you throw a middle finger at them. Way yeah. to go. No. Yeah, and I know not, not everyone was happy about that because the other big part of this was they said their tournament seeding process would go um, away from just pure records for every team. And that if you played fewer than 60% of your scheduled A-10 games, they would just base it on your net ranking. And this was clearly to help out a team like SLU that has not played the full slate of games, but has had at the time a very good net ranking. I think we were uh, number 32 going into the Dayton game. So I know Bonaventure was not there. That program, their fans were not happy at all about the changes. There were some other winners and losers in in the whole thing, but it was a lot to take in all at once. And, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Now, I don't know if, did we cover, I think we covered the UMass pause um, in our last episode, but there's been some update to that, correct? The pause in terms of their, their campus shutting down and therefore all their programs had to shut down. Yes. Yeah, so basically yeah. I believe, and I, and I just, I forgot to even put this in our notes and I apologize to Pete for putting him under the bus like this, but uh, even through a, a quick Google, I didn't, nothing really came up, but, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not quoting this. I'm doing this from memory. Basically there will be no on-campus competition, interscholastic or intercollegiate competition on UMass's campus until mid-March. Now these sports teams are allowed to practice on campus but they must play off campus. So it seems like UMass men's and women's basketball will be allowed to finish their seasons, but they only will get to play road games. Yeah, it's kind of a loophole. They had a game, their game that was on campus for, with St. Bonaventure was canceled, but they've still got games at Richmond on the 23rd and um, now at SLU on the 28th on the schedule. And uh, that will get them to 10 conference games and it gets them just barely to um, to the 13 games that they need for postseason consideration. Because right now they're seven and four overall. They've only played 11 games. It it, it does give them a loophole. Yeah, and another um, another program in the athletic the, the athletic ugh, the Atlantic 10 uh, Fordham still shut down. I don't believe there is a an update on that. That's that's concerning more for their women's side of things because right. uh, the women's program currently sits at second in the Atlantic 10 behind St. Louis. So yeah. it's, it's really up in the air for them. And it's a shame for these young men and women because they've worked so damn hard. 
I don't know if it's a shame for their men's team quite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be so uh, it might be a mercy rule for the men's team, but um, for the women's team, I they their coaches and players and fans actually have um, petitioned the school. I think so far to no avail, but um, I would like to see them get kind of the same uh, loophole that UMass has. Like even if campus is shut down, maybe if, if as long as we're still you know not generating any positive tests around the program, we can play some yep. road games. And I don't want to get move into the the. Uh the general um i don't even want to call it politics because everyone uses politics as like a, a a blanket word for current events but like current events wise it's interesting to see how the 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 situation has changed for um you know athletics where we've realized that maybe you know athletics aren't the reason this is spread because uh the people that have come back um you know and had to pause their program, it doesn't seem like the positive tests have come from the actual competitions. Um, right. And, and it feels like uh, almost that when it comes to things that could spread the virus, uh, having, having limited fans in the arena really seems pretty much the safer option than like going to a bar. Yeah, because yeah. you can control where you sit, you have an assigned spot, you can make sure people it's it's funny like we shut down all sports but it almost feels like the sports weren't like like we can do sports it's it's not that big of a like a huge ordeal yeah i don't i don't disagree with keeping it to a limited Mm -hmm. amount of fans Mm -hmm. that you can spread out and keep Mm -hmm. people in masks and it seems like the people i think we're all yeah right who who are getting to go to the games are, are are happy to you know comply with the the basic regulation is just to get back in the arena. My initial, you know, feeling about it going into the season was just don't even worry about fans. Yep. And and that's still my perspective. I I still, I still feel that way. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I think, I think when push comes to shove, if you got to get it, get the games in, get the games in. Right. Fans can, you know, figure it out. Um, It's not a huge deal. Right. It's, but it's, it seems like on a limited basis, it's been fine so far and that the main concerns have just come from, um, you know, what's either happened on campus or as players go home or go out socially uh-huh. or things like that. But in terms of the competition itself, it, it, it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of spread that way. Yeah, no, it, it, it does not at all. Um, but let's get off the, uh, the, 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 the current events and the, the brand new news in the A-10. And let's look at the LaSalle game. Um, Billikens obviously uh, took care of business uh, prior to the Dayton game against LaSalle. Um, this was a good game for the Billikens to, to, you know, come out. It's a home game. Uh, you beat LaSalle 78-57, uh, a game you're supposed to win. You come out and, and get revenge. Uh, what, what did you see? What stood out to you most in this game? So when we talked with the OnlyFans guys heading into the game, one of the keys to the game that we all agreed on was um, keeping their shooters in check. Um, you know, last last time we played at LaSalle and they beat us, um, Beatty from off the bench uh, went off. Um, I think he had 20 against us. And then you, also, you always have to watch out for Kenny and Clark, who had a great game against us in that first game. Those guys lately have just been – they've been shooting collectively about 23 pointers a game. So, uh, so the key to the game, as I saw it, was, was really getting to those guys on the perimeter. 
And to Slew's credit, we did. Um, in that four-game win streak, just played outstanding perimeter defense. LaSalle goes five for 28 as a team. Um, the three guys that I was kind of worried about, Clark, Kenny, and Beatty, I think went a collective um, uh, two for 12 from the three-point line or two for 11. Brickus had a big game. He had 22 points. Um, he was only two of nine from three, but he was getting to the rim. You know, he's, he's a good uh, young guard for them. So, so he had a big game, but between, everybody else was – we really did a great job shutting LaSalle down in the ways that we did not the first time around. So, so that was just great to see. Yeah, I think I, I think I've become a Jameer Brickus fan. I, I mean, I honestly like the funny thing is, is I sit there and and there's people around me that like it's cool because with the fans, um, you know, I I actually got to sit near my uncles, my late uncles friends. They sat right behind me. Uh, Bo Pamatot, who we've had on the po- we had on the other podcast, uh, and I went to Brooklyn with, sat in the section over within like popcorn throwing distance, and then. Um, uh, another guy, Jake, um, he sat a couple more rows behind me than my uncle's friends. So it's cool that you get to like interact six feet apart. Um, yeah. but I mean, there were moments where like, th- it's funny cause you got to sit back and watch that game and, uh, just shake your head at some of the things Billikens were doing, but you also, what's great about the game where the Billikens are just going running away with it. Is that you get to sit back and enjoy what the other team is doing? Yeah. Uh, and and Jameer Brickus was fun to watch in that game. I mean, as much as I shook my head at the things that like uh, um, Javante Perkins was doing in that game, as far as scoring wise, Jameer Brickus was doing just the same thing. And I mean, you would just sit back and go, Okay, whatever. If he's going to do that, I mean, I don't know how you stop that. So, uh, Jameer Brickus was incredibly impressive. But equally impressive, though, in that game, I thought, like you said, was the three-point defense. Uh, in the first half, they, they shot 7.7% from three. And in the second, uh, 26.67%, 4 of 15, uh, for a combined total of 17.95 of 28. Um, the hilarious part of that whole game was – uh, LaSalle at the line. I don't know if you kept track of this during the game, but they were, uh, I believe they were 0 of 6, and then they made two in a row. Yeah, well, they, I think they ended 2 of 6. I think they were 0 yes. for 4 and then hit 2. Oh, they, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I added that wrong because yeah. I'm that's that, that Jesuit math, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, they started out 0 of 4 and then ended up 2 of 6. But for a while, I mean, it was it was like – it was like a neon sign in Vegas to see that they were they were zero percent from the free throw line. So it was wild. I, um, but yeah, I I thought the Billikens handled this really well. Uh, very business like. Um, Fred Thatch was you know outstanding. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's this is the kind of game you. Um, I don't know. He was just he was just fantastic. I don't really have much to say. Um, yeah, what did the, you see from the, the, actual- the other thing I saw from SLU specifically um, was, was just, well, you already mentioned Perkins and what he was doing. That was about the most efficient game I've seen out of him. I, I mean, it was this, this year he had 19 points yeah. in 22 minutes, eight of 10 from the field and three of four from three. He was just an assassin. Mm-hmm. He's, it's, there are games where Perkins kind of panics a little bit and um, his, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we will. And uh, you know, sometimes his shot selection can suffer, and he, he you know forgets that he can get himself out of trouble. 
um, by passing or putting it on the floor. But this game, he just was mm-hmm. – I, 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 we got to go to the analytics guys, the M&G analytics guys, to see um, how many yeah. dribbles he scored those 19 on because I'm guessing it's less than six. He was just really um, smooth and quick to score last night. The other – the other real standout to me was obviously um, Goodwin, who had 16, 15, and 8. Just a monster, monster game from him. Um, he added two steals with that as well. And he was 3 for 3 from the free throw line. But it wasn't just the stats. I mean, he, he controlled the game in every way possible. Um, you know, with, with Yuri Collins on the bench, um, he really stepped up and, and played a fantastic game, arguably his best in the season. And then um, just to round out the seniors, mm-hmm. he, um, you know, it wasn't French's biggest production night, but I thought his first half was just about perfect. It was. Except for the free throws. And we didn't really need him much in the second half. He played 22 minutes on the on the game. And um, I thought that was his third game in a row where he really looked like his old self and, and that he was back. So third game in a row where all three of our seniors played really well together. I, I want to ask you um... – what was your reaction to Yuri Callens going down in that first half? Well, he because down, I was terrified. Well, he he went down in the Fordham game, though, right? Oh no, wait. So he he didn't. You're right. Play. I'm yeah. I'm completely. Yeah, wait. No, that's, no, he went down in the. Uh, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the. Uh, so he went down in the Fordham game, and um, Ford gave him this game off. So Goodwin. You're right. Goodwin oh, my played, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm thinking about the Rhode Island game. I'm, I'm oh, all the yeah, way yeah, back yeah. in the Rhode Island. Oh, my God. Yeah. Took a time machine. Where's Doc Brown? Um, but, no, I thought um, – you know, I, I, is there anybody more efficient? I, I love Perkins, and Perkins is unfreaking believable when he gets on a roll. But is there anybody more efficient in, in recent memory in a Billiken uniform than Martin Linson? I mean, it, it, I guess maybe there's some walk-on who went one for one or something. Uh, like Reggie Agbeck. Reggie Agbeck from the three Yeah, as long as you're keeping it to a, a production minimum. Yeah. yeah he, he, this was another game where he came in and gave great energy and, um, you know, did everything that's asked of him. And, um, and yeah, you know, just another game, three for three. Two or two from the line um, in ten minutes, you've got eight points. Three assists was the other thing that stood out to me um, for him. Yeah. He he knew when to uh, when to pass in this one, and um, it was it was the fourth straight game we've seen our bigs really pass well. Yeah, you met, uh, you mentioned holding their 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 big scores, uh, or their you know most of their guys um, to low uh, point totals. Uh, Christian Ray only had four. Uh, Sharif Kenny didn't score. Anwar Gill, five points. David Beattie only had uh, – I'm sorry. Anwar Gill had seven. David Beattie only had five, and he killed us the last game. Uh, they mentioned Tegra, Isaiah, and uh, Jared Kimbrough, who both scored two total points. Uh, and, and they only played 33 minutes between the two. So um, this was a weird game. Uh, Ashley Howard handled his – his roster really interestingly and uh but the, the Billikens took advantage and it was a good home win it was a fun game to just kind of like I said it's, it's kind of like the Fordham game you sit back and enjoy yeah it was great it was um just an, an like you said just an enjoyable win from start to finish um really really refreshing game and it was the fourth straight game where we were playing some great basketball 
And we're going to turn the page onto some less uh, cheery news or uh, less cheery talk, uh, if you will. Uh, the Billikens, uh, Friday night, 7 p.m. at UD Arena. Uh, they took on the Dayton Flyers, and uh, they were making omelets because they laid a lot of eggs in this one. Uh, this was a uh, 53 loss, uh, and it was never close. No, it wasn't. Um, it, almost immediately, Dayton got on the board. They were getting some good looks um, on the offensive end and then just frustrated slew out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the, the narrative that has emerged in this one is they kind of challenged um, Jimerson and Perkins to shoot, and, and they did miss some open shots early. And then it, it almost seemed like panic kind of set in offensively. Um, I don't know if I buy that completely because there's a, lo- a lot more we do offensively, but but they, they did kind of pack it in on us, especially in the first half. And then they go down and they get nothing but open looks and hit at the other end. Um, so the, the one thing, I'm, they seem to always have open shooters on their end because um, they, they just uh, – their spacing is really good. Their ball movement is good. And I think the other factor in this one is that Chapman was back from injury. We, I, don't think he was, I don't think he was there last time we played them. No. Um, so they always seem to have the open man on offense. And then on defense, they just guard us so well without overhelping. Um, it just seems like we never had anyone who was truly open or who had room to operate. What did you see in this one? Man, I, I mean, it just felt like it was bad decision after bad decision. Um, really don't even know uh, what to say as far as like on court because it, it felt like everything was being forced. Um, between whether I and I felt like Hassan French was kind of the um, the scapegoat when it came to forcing things. Did you feel the same way? The scapegoat in terms of uh, being people, that guy who's the yeah. one that's that's making the worst decisions, I guess. Well, I mean, he had plenty of company. Um, right. I, this was, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But like, this, it was this, just one of those that where like he was the first one that. Um, he was kind of the the one that was most obvious, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, they they were forcing him into um, you know heavily contested shots at the rim. Um, they were forcing him into turnovers. Um, just just clearly had his number. I think I want to say last time we played them, he got um, their big man Jordy into some foul trouble early, and that kind of helped us, but. Um, that that wasn't the case. Uh, they, they just seemed to have the upper hand immediately, and French had you know four turnovers. Um, he did make some nice passes, but it, you know he got into a little bit of foul trouble as well. Something he hadn't done um, during the three previous games. You know when we were streaking, he was keeping his he was staying out of foul trouble. Um, so just not a good eighteen minutes for him at all. Um, but like I said, he had plenty of company. I, I, Goodwin's decision making was not great. Um, I think everyone got baited into a turnover or two. It was, it was, it was just hard to watch. Yeah. It, I mean, I just, I think I texted you at halftime and said, F it. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to just go do whatever I want to, I'm, I'm done watching this. Um, but I, I want to get into the post game comments because that was something you pointed out to me. Uh, I have trouble, um, reading and, and looking into things after a loss, but yeah, but it, you know, it, it's hard. I, I, 
I think I put too much uh, emotional energy into things at times, and I think that's it's a problem when you're when you're a podcaster. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, Goodwin um, quote: "I told them you can't forget anything like this. Uh, I actually told them to soak it in, take a bath in it. This feeling sucks when you get to be when you get beat to sleep anywhere. So I told them to channel that and go forward from here." But don't forget what it feels like because we might see them in a few weeks. Um, yeah, yeah uh, we've got Hargrove. Uh, it wasn't just us. It wasn't our defense the way we usually play. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. Um, Ford said, they did a great job on us. We kind of knew what they were going to do, and we didn't do much on, their, on either end. Um, one more Goodwin quote. I feel like we were ready. I feel like every time we got off to a slow start, it goes downhill from there. I thought Coach had a good game plan, but the players as a whole did not follow it at all. So the two things that stand out to me there are both both Goodwin and Hargrove. Instead of saying, we need to move on, they both say, we need to wallow in this one for a little bit. Mm -hmm. We need to feel this pain. We need to learn from this, um, which is, I think, kind of, uh, kind of a unique approach because most – most athletes, you know, I know they don't say a whole lot in press conferences of note, but most will say we want to just move on. And, uh, and, and they kind of took the opposite approach on this one, which I, I thought was interesting. So I hope they really do mean that because this, um, this was not the same team that had played the previous four games. And then um, the other thing that stood out to me was, was Goodwin's last quote there where he said, we, we scouted them well, we had a good game plan, we just didn't execute. Um, you know, I, you hear coaches say that a lot. So I, I, I would be curious to, to prod Goodwin a little bit more on that and kind of see specifically what he meant because they looked out of sync in every single way. Um, they looked panicked. They looked like they were frustrated. Um, it was just like a complete meltdown is what it felt like to me. Um, and I don't know how much of that goes to Ford um, because when you do – when you do see those signs, I mean, really in the first couple minutes of the game, you could tell um, there was, you, 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 instead of just saying, oh, this is who we are today. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there had to be a way to get them back in it. There, there was a point in the first half where we were down by six, it was 19 to 13. And I remember thinking like, we're down, we've been playing horrible. The worst mm-hmm. I've seen us play all year. It's, it's 19 to 13, you know? So this is really a couple possessions away from being, either you know a a one or two point game or a tied game like this is this is not out of hand and then within a few minutes it was like 31 to 15 Dayton and it basically was out of hand and and it was clear we weren't going to come back yeah it was it was frustrating um gosh it's hard to get on here and just be kind of level-headed because it was so frustrating um you mentioned the scout and whether we scouted them correctly. Uh, last year, the, we, we learned last year that it's the first chair who has the scout. Last year was Giacoletti who had, who had both Dayton games. And I may, you know, this year it was Tate. So the question is, why switch? I'm not saying Tate's the wrong person to scout, but I'm curious as why the switch. Now, I know you have no idea, but what – do you think it's a mistake to switch? I, talk to me, man. Chat me up. 
Well, I mean, the staff, they're around each other all day, every day. Um, it's not like there's a completely different set of ideas among every assistant coach about how to approach a game. And it's, it's not like any, anyone's new or having to learn Dayton. Mm-hmm. Um, Dayton is different than they were last year. Obviously, they're nowhere near as good. Um, you lose top end, you lose some other players, and, and, and you're not going to be a 29-2 and two team again. So, so obviously, there were some changes there and, and, and you know, some differences on our roster as well. Uh, mostly for the positive. So, um, so I don't think switching it is a huge deal. I'm trying to remember back to my days, but I, uh, I think the assistants, like once they had somebody, like whoever had Marquette, they were just going to, they were going to have Marquette every year. I think, I think that's how Soderbergh worked it. Um, I was only there for one year of Romar, so I, I can't, I can't really speak to it under him, but, um, Dayton, clearly has our number this season. I don't, I don't know what it is because last season you can't, no complaints about Slew's approach to the game at all. Both games we were in until the end, we had a chance to win against one of the best teams in the country. Um, that just so happens to be our rival. Um, this season, Dayton's nowhere near as good. And it's not a matter of playing down to your competition. They're, they're, they're still a good team. They're not Fordham. Um, it's just a matter of not having an answer for their, their perimeter shooting. And they just completely have our number on defense. Yeah. That, that leads us to, I guess, the questions we got on Twitter, we put it out there and I want to thank uh, all of our friends and listeners that, uh, that did reply to our tweet and with questions um, and, and some of our enemies that actually replied too. Uh, and I'll allow ghost make history on the podcast. Uh, I'll allow his question. Uh, does Dayton have Slew's number, or is there a bigger problem here? Hold up. I sort. I would say this season, yeah, they do. Um, clearly, there's something that they're doing in a, to approach this game that 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 Slew has not figured out. Does Dayton have our number in general? I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, Dayton owns Slew." I mean, last season was extraordinary for them. So mm-hmm. having a down year against them this year, it means we've lost four in a row against them kind of back and forth for a few years before that um during the cruise years i think we lost like um in the first season first season or two under ford we, we did have a seven game losing streak to them but then before that you know we had a we won seven of nine against them when mm-hmm. when majerus was around so do in in general do they have our number no uh this season do they yeah i i, I don't i don't know why what do you think at times, I think there's a bigger problem. Um, I don't know what it is, um, but it's, it feels like sometimes uh, this team loses its poise, uh, maybe some faith in its leadership. Um, I don't really – I can't put my finger on it. I don't have the pulse of, uh, of this team uh, intimately. So I can't really – I can't really – I can't prove – my thoughts on that. Um, but there, it just seems like at times this team may not be as mentally tough as, uh, you know, you'd like to see uh, the team that won four games in four days and went to the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, you don't see the mental toughness to come back and, um, you know, the, the resiliency that like the Blues talked about in their cup run. Um, you don't see that kind of resiliency with this team. Um, and it scares me. It, it, it makes me nervous. And, um, I just, I question, I question 
the the tough skin on this team. I don't know if they have they have uh, that you know kind of attitude like nobody's gonna fuck with us. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to to explain. I, I think um, I, I look at our seniors and um, I want more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look to it's just the inconsistency that I, I don't understand. Like, how how do you how are you um, how do you look so good, so sharp, so ready? Um, in in one game, and then three days later, you just don't even show 100%. up. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And and this is, by the way, the, the the things that are happening externally before this Dayton game is, in the in the twenty four hours leading up to the game, the league has basically said, "Hey, Slew, we're going to give you every possible avenue to the NCAA tournament. We're going to give you a better game to finish the season. We're going to um, change seeding that basically gives you a two seed right now into the A ten tournament." So all you have to do is win some games and you're in. And yeah. Steve just went, now nah, we're good. <laughs> you know, I mean, like the players know that. The coaches yeah. know that. Uh, so, so I don't know. I don't know how that isn't a motivator for this game. Because knowing that going into this game, I go, well, this is it. We're, we're about to no. punch our ticket. We just need to take care of business. Yeah. Uh, another question uh, from Mike. Uh, at what point do you have to start severe, severely limiting French's minutes uh, it's obvious COVID has had a lasting effect on him. Uh, he's not the same player. Yeah, I mean, I, there's still a lot we don't know about COVID and its long-term effects and things like right. that. I know some people have speculated how it's affected big men more than than, than some other players in, in on a basketball roster. So I don't know. I mean, he does look slower. Um, he doesn't look as lean as he did last season. He doesn't. I mean, You're right. Neither does Fred. No, yeah, but but this is – this is one of those things where he, he was actually really good. I, he was, he was every bit as good as he's been throughout his career um, in the last three games leading up to this one. Right. Two of those were LaSalle and Fordham, but he was, he was good against Rhode Island too. And Rhode Island has some really nice bigs. Um, so in, in terms of limiting his minutes, I think I'm still, you know, if I, if I'm Ford, he's still a starter, you know, he's still your big man. You still go with him. Um, it's more situational and I don't, I think I'd use him pretty sparingly down the stretch when you're talking about things like, um, I'd be pulling him out on offense every time right. that we have the ball for an inbound under, for example, or, or, or an inbound anywhere. Um, just cause you don't want to risk him having to shoot free throws late in the second mm-hmm. half, things I like agree. that. Um, I still think you got to go with him overall though, if he's not in foul trouble. What, um, I don't know. What about you? Do you do you think we need to pull the plug on him sooner? I mean, he's on a shorter leash, I should say. Yeah, I, I, both of these seniors just frustrate me in general because it just does not feel like they're present at times. Uh, French, especially, is kind of. I don't know. It, I think it's it's been rumor and innuendo speculated that French is kind of it's kind of checked out, and it worries me. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's uh, a, a legitimate concern, but I just I, I, French is not the same player, and I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it has to do with conditioning. It's, but it, it, it's it's un, it's it's scary, and I don't want to say scary because we overuse. It's concerning for sure when it comes to this team. Yeah, and seniors can check out. I, right. I definitely my senior year. I saw that with the seniors there. Um, uh, at the time, it was Isaac Ohanon, mm-hmm. 
uh, Reggie Bryant, um, Tom Frerix. I think they were the all three yeah. seniors that year. Well, well Reggie and, had a hell of a senior year personally. He, so. he did. Like they, they, they were all um, battling injuries all yeah. year. But that was a season where we, we lost a lot of close games and we ended up winning nine. We, we were like nine and 21 to finish the year. But it, it shows you how fine a line a season is because we were like one in 12 in close games. Um, but by the end of the year, everybody was just like, you know, we're packing it in. We're not going to get hurt anymore. It, it, so I've seen that. It should not happen on a team that's in tournament contention. Though. You know, like the guys, you should be able to stay focused for just a couple more months if you're a senior who actually can play in a postseason. Because think about, you know, I, I, I don't like when players are worried about their legacy while they're still playing, yeah. um, you know, thinking too much about that. But if you're Goodwin in French and you're now about to wrap up your career, there's a very real chance that all they have to show for their whole career at SLU in terms of uh, wins is one NCAA tournament appearance that was over as soon as it started. Yeah. And, and, and that's got to be hard for fans to think about now. Wow, we just had two of the best Billikens ever, and, mm -hmm. and we don't even have a tournament winner. So, so what, what more motivation you know, do you need if you're those guys? Yeah, it's, it, that's, the, that's the real kicker. That's the real kick in the ass for fans, I think, is that you go into Dayton, you have a chance to spoil Jalen Crutcher's senior day. Oh, yeah. You have seniors who this is their last chance to make their mark at St. Louis University, and it's a no-show. They just absolutely lay an egg. And it's one of the worst games I've seen under Travis Ford. I, I, I don't even know what else to say. I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but I was pissed off. Like, I was legitimately angry. And there's no – obviously, there's no reason to be angry for, like, a, a real human being, like a, like a person who has actual, like, priorities. But, you know, like, as a sports fan and a Billiken fan, it pissed me off. Yeah, for sure. Um, looking at the standings right now, um, VCU, uh, hanging out in front nine and three in conference, uh, Davidson and UMass both sit at six and two UMass kind of a, a funny, uh, situation with them with the schedule they've played. Uh, like we mentioned in the outset that they will be, uh, back off pause here soon. Uh, Bonaventure eight and three, uh, Richmond five and three Dayton sits at eight and six. Uh, St. Louis four and three in seventh place. Uh, and then you have George Mason, Duquesne, George Washington, Rhode Island, LaSalle, Fordham, St. Joseph's finally gets a win, which I will uh, mention in our recap of the week. Uh, but they said in last place, uh, speaking of the recap of the week, uh, 216 St. Louis beat LaSalle by 13, 7857. Uh, VCU beat Richmond by 13 as well. Uh, or actually, they just beat them by 13, 68-56. Uh, Joe's and GW was postponed. Uh, Duquesne and George Washington also postponed. That was like they, they replaced the game, and then they postponed the second game. Eh, weird. Um, Bonaventure and George Mason, uh, I believe, was postponed as well. Uh, the 19th, uh, SLU lost to UD, as we know. Uh, Davidson beat the tar out of some – Slack Division Three team by fifty. Southern Virginia. Yeah, D3. Southern Virginia. Yeah. Um, SVU, not not the not the SVU the Billiken fans have come to know, right? <laughs> not no sweater, sweater vest there. Not yeah. sweater vest University. Um, uh, the Joes beat LaSalle by nine, <laughs> uh, ninety one eighty two. 
George Mason went into VCU and win uh, 79-76. Uh, Richmond uh, holds serve at home 79-71 over Duquesne. Uh, and today, uh, URI and GW and Davidson and St. Bonaventure played. I don't have the scores on that in front of me. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so, so George Washington, this is their first game. They had a, a COVID layoff basically right. as long as ours. This is our, their first game since the 19th of January. And they wound up beating Rhode Island by eight, which <laughs> sort of uh, kills the narrative for a lot yeah. of the other teams that, uh, hey, give us a break on these, uh, these first games back. Um, because Bishop had 28, Battle had 26. Um, they were apparently ready to go. It, it's, um, it's funny because I don't think there's anybody better in the Atlantic 10 than saying they screwed up on their scout than David Cox. Mm. Like This is like the third time in a row he's blamed his scout on losing, and it's, it's hysterical. And I guess uh, the next game is played later tonight, right? It's – yeah, David's not going to try to play it yet. Yeah. Billiken fans, we've got a treat for you today with uh, Richmond coming up on the schedule. We've got Noah Goldberg, who reports for ESPN Richmond. Uh, he reports on the Richmond Spiders. Uh, he's, he's locked into that program. Noah, good to have you on the podcast, my man. Appreciate you having me on, Zach. Uh, excited to get going. Yeah, welcome to the welcome to the new and improved uh, Midtown Madness podcast with me and Peter. Um, so I guess we'll get right to it because uh, it was the biggest uh, story in the A10 for a week. Uh, it was the the COVID drama saga, whatever you want to call it, uh, between uh, the Billiken Athletic Department and Billiken Men's Basketball Program, and the uh, it was. It was a war of words in the media between uh, the two athletic departments. So uh, give me kind of the rundown of that entire weekend from where you stood. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a super weird weekend, um, even for me in particular, even more so than, than other media, because we also had, I'm obviously a student at U of R, and there were you know, issues going on on campus with COVID unrelated to the basketball team that was affecting. Ex- expound on that for us. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I'm an off-campus student at U of R. I'm a junior, uh, so I live in an, in an apartment like three minutes from campus. And when all the students came back for the spring semester, they do like initial COVID testing. So everyone gets tested right away with, I think, the PCR tests, like the better ones. And then after that, every student gets tested like every other week, um, prevalence testing. So when we all came back, off-campus students had a 17% positivity rate on that initial testing, which is pretty pretty high. So U of R basically said, okay, for the next two weeks, um, which included that week of the St. Louis game, if you're an off-campus student, you're not allowed to come to campus at all for anything other than COVID testing and like the health center. Um, so for me, you know, I wasn't really thinking about the basketball game too much. Obviously Robin centers on campus. I was thinking, you know, I don't work for the school newspaper. I work for ESPN Richmond. Um, they let student athletes into the Robin center who live off campus already. They were doing that. So they were making an exception. Um, so I'm like, you know, they're, they're going to let me in. I didn't really think about it. Uh, so I actually ended up getting a text from a PR person that said, because of this new policy, we actually can't credential you, uh, for the game. So I actually wasn't going to be allowed into the game, which was really, you know, frustrating. Um, it wasn't really their fault. It's an administration decision. It had nothing to do with the athletic department. Their hands were kind of tied. So I was dealing with that. That was a whole separate thing. And then obviously, of course, 
uh, as, you, as you mentioned, there was this kind of like public relations battle of the whole situation that unfolded with SLU and Richmond. So, so from my perspective and, and where I was sitting, uh, basically what it sounds like is, you know, St. Louis obviously got to Richmond. They flew in, they landed, they were in a hotel. I think they, I want to say they got in, I don't know if they got on Friday or Thursday, but I know that their concerns arose. I believe Thursday night stuff was brought up and conversations were had. Um, obviously, like and, I said, and Slew what was were there. Those concerns, as you know. So you I don't know. I don't. I don't know specifics of like was it certain people were positive or certain people were somewhat like I. I don't know the specifics exactly what happened. I think is kind of what it sounds like is that obviously we all know what happened publicly, right? Slew's concerned about something but Richmond did clear protocol. So basically what it sounds like is that either some kind of fringe, I don't know what the tier one, tier two is, whether it's some kind of staff that's not around the team all the time, but someone around the, or in the programs, I think had positive tests, but weren't part of the traveling party, not around the guys all the time. So it was kind of one of those weird things where there's like COVID at the fringe of the program, I guess you could say, but all the players tested negative the day of, um, and basically, according to the Atlantic 10 protocols, they cleared all the protocols. Everyone in the tier one party, whatever it is, was all clear. Um, and, and obviously, St. Louis, you know, whatever those concerns were, or it seems like there were positives around the team, you know, it concerned them enough. And from their perspective, right, like you guys had a super long COVID pause and they can't afford to miss more games. And, you know, Richmond, you know, I, I understand where they're coming from because, you know, you're Richmond, that's a big game, you need the games. And, you know, if the conference tells you you're clear to play, of course you're going to clear to play. So I don't have issues with Richmond wanting to play if they cleared protocols. And I also don't think anyone should have issues with St. Louis because obviously they were concerned and we know what happened. Um, I think that where the issue comes in is, like you mentioned, right, the PR battle is then Richmond comes out, you get John Hart, you get Chris Mooney another guy saying how disappointed they were that John O'Connor and yeah so I, I I'm not going to say anything directly about Jay sure, sure. he's a good guy and and you know he's another reporter but we all know what happened and, and it's that's what killed them is coming out and saying we were disappointed we couldn't play because and they'll tell you right they'll say Friday we cleared protocol they went in the shutdown Sunday and they say Friday and Sunday are completely unrelated they say Friday everyone was fine nothing happened Saturday and that Sunday people tested positive that they're completely unrelated. No, no one with a brain is going to believe that, right? If <laughs> St. Louis literally left over COVID concerns, it was clear that the conference and both teams were being very hush hush about it. Yeah. And then you have an entire, like you have like an outbreak through your team where a large majority of the roster ended up getting COVID. Um, and so it's like, you you have to know that those two were related. It's pretty clear that whatever happened on Friday, that concern slew, obviously led to that outbreak Sunday. So what was the narrative shift with your fan base? Um, speaking from slew's perspective, our, our fans mostly were pretty upset that they walked out on the game when Richmond was saying, we cleared conference protocols, we cleared our protocols, we're good to go. A lot of our fans were pretty upset. You know, they were ready for that game. So for almost 48 hours, it was, it was pretty rough in, in Billiken land. Um, and then it was like total vindication Sunday. And not that everybody who was outraged walked back everything they said, but it was, it was a big shift in the way that our fans certainly looked at it. What was it like in, in Richmond? I imagine it pretty upset on Friday, but did, did that change much Sunday or were they still like, we should have played Friday? Yeah. I mean, they, they that's that, that's where the issue is is the messaging is that basically they still 
obviously Friday and Saturday, but even kind of Sunday and into that next week, you know, they weren't exactly putting out statements like they were Friday and Saturday where they're going out and advertising that they were annoyed they didn't play. Um, but you still, the, the team continued to repeat that Sunday is unrelated to Friday, even after stuff happened Sunday and continued to repeat that we were clear on Friday and we wanted to play Friday. So they, they certainly didn't walk it back and they certainly haven't made any kind of admission saying Friday and Sunday were related. Um, which again, from their standpoint, you know, it's, again, we can all judge. And I think it's like, we all said, right. Common sense. We're pretty clear. We think that it's related, but for, from a PR standpoint, it does them no good at that point. They've already kind of put their stuck their feet in the mud. So that's where they're at. But yeah, with like the fan base, obviously it was the kind of the same with you guys, Friday, Saturday, everyone on Richmond Twitter was ripping apart St. Louis. Everyone on a 10 Twitter was ripping us apart. Yeah. There were a few, a few, voices saying, ah, we, maybe we did the right thing. Let's wait and see what happens. Give them a break, but not yeah. many. It's, it's really just my, like, I don't understand how it went down the way it did. It's just really mind boggling to me because again, I can't, I can't really get into specifics about what the concerns were that SLU had, but it just, uh, from my perspective, you know, it didn't seem obvious that like, because of what the concerns were that there was going to be some kind of COVID mm-hmm. outbreak. But it's certainly based on what those concerns were. I feel like anyone with a brain could have thought, okay, it's a possibility with what they were concerned about. Anyone could have guessed there was a potential that Richmond was going to have a COVID issue in the coming days. So for me, it's just like, you know, if I have that, if I can make that assumption based on the information I have, you've got to think the conference in St. Louis and Richmond, they have all the details and they know everything's going on. So to me, for them to like know what, what was happening and what those concerns were, and then stick with the messaging and the PR message. Cause this wasn't like a Richmond versus St. Louis thing. Like this was the conference. Like that's why you didn't hear, like you would have thought like St. Louis maybe would have leaked Friday and Saturday what their concerns were because everyone was ripping them apart. Right. And then it's clearly like not their fault. So the fact that nothing got out and nothing leaked, like the conference was literally like, I know they were holding Richmond's PR release on Sunday um, where like the Richmond was waiting to announce the the pause and like eight, a 10 was in constant communication with everyone on both teams. So like this was their show. So it's hard to like really blame St. Louis or Richmond for the messaging. But I, but I do think to a certain degree, the conference just, I mean, they fucked up. Like it's, they, they shouldn't have let anyone said anything. They should have just said they cleared protocols, but we all met and just left it at that. So I, I really think the, I really think Bernadette kind of botched this one. It's interesting you throw it uh, Bernie's way Um, because I think a lot of people noted the time frame at which Richmond came out and started kind of going on the offensive because it was in the time frame that SLU would have been in the air uh, heading back to St. Louis. Um, What do you make of, of, you know, just from your perspective, Richmond going on the offensive – and then kind of St. Louis's um, kind of letting Richmond talk themselves into a grave, if you will. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly what happened. Um, and again, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's mind boggling. It's a PR, it's such a PR fuck up. Like it really makes no sense yeah. to me. I mean, like we said, the conference, you know, they, it's pretty clear. The A-10 said to St. Louis, don't say anything. Don't tell them what your concerns were, blah, blah. Cause it makes the A-10 look bad too, right? Yeah. Like the fact that, the A-10's protocols clearly are not effective because it's the A-10's protocols and the, their protocols cleared a team to play. And then that same team had a COVID outbreak days later. So, so from, from the A-10's perspective, it's just a terrible look for them. And I get why they want everyone to, to be hush hush, but 
yeah, I mean, that's exactly what St. Louis did. Like St. Louis knew the the situation. They knew that, you know, just like I said, right? Like, again, you couldn't have predicted per se, there was going to be a COVID outbreak, but you couldn't. So certainly could have saw the potential. So they probably looked at it and said, you know, stuff's going to come out. We're going to be vindicated. We're just going to sit back and, and see what happens. So again, I, I know I just repeated it, but it's just beyond shocking to me with the information that was available to all the parties that, Richmond would come out and make the statements they did about, about being disappointed and that stuff. I mean, it was kind of, it, from my, from my perspective, it was a ticking time bomb just waiting to happen. Full, full disclosure to people listening. And I'm sure anybody who's followed me and my, and my quote unquote antics or my, my, uh, my outlets for my creativity. Uh, I have a spotty pass at best with, with the athletic director at St. Louis university. Me and him don't see eye to eye on a lot of business related aspects. I will point out, business-related aspects. Um, but, uh, no, it was, it, I honestly sat here and enjoyed him putting his quote-unquote balls on the, on the chin of Richmond athletic director. I thought it was amazing. I thought he, he was perfect throughout. But I'm curious uh, because Chris Mooney has had kind of, a, kind of a rocky road the last couple of years, especially with a certain section of the Richmond fan base uh, you obviously have the Fire Mooney Mafia on Twitter. Uh, you had the billboard. Uh, Mooney has come out and been somewhat outspoken about the protocols involving COVID and kind of being que- in questioning how strict protocol should be. Uh, where does the fan base stand on Mooney's outspokenness and his uh, kind of stance on COVID protocols? I can't really speak on where the fan base is for that. To be honest, I haven't really seen a lot of it. Um, it's, you know, everyone's kind of different, right? Like everyone across sure, the political sure, spectrum, yeah, 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 different yeah. backgrounds, everyone's got a different take on COVID. Um, so I, I don't think there's a huge like alignment. It's really just the people that hate Mooney are going to rip Mooney for whatever he does. The people <laughs> that love him are going to ride his dick to death. So it's, it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter, um, you know, which, which side you're on. But, but I will say he certainly, like you said, he's been, you know, all year pretty, I don't want to say questionable, but he's questioned a lot of the COVID. So we had the, I don't know if you guys know about the first pause they had. They had three pauses. The first one that came back from their MTE at Kentucky, the Bluegrass Showcase, um, and they had three positive tests. Uh, I think they were all the rapid tests, which obviously, as we know, aren't very good. None of the guys were symptomatic. They all isolated, quarantined, and in like three consecutive days returned three negative tests. So like they were pretty convinced um, that that was a – false positive like it's pretty clear yeah, about um, and he basically after then and just through the rest of the year just continuously i, I shouldn't say rip covid protocols and i know like i'm around the team like they, they have followed covid protocols as far as i know pretty well but you know you've seen he, basically almost any post-game press conference it feels like anytime they miss a game he'll he, he gets a little frustrated which is again understandable you know it's young healthy guys who you know in their in their opinion probably don't care as much about getting covid um so so yeah i understand the frustrations but as far as the fan base goes i think it's more just whatever your stance on covid is versus the chris mooney thing Uh, how much in terms of richmond's performance versus expectations this year how much um do you put at the feet of covid versus mooney or or any other factors and um is 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 there a narrative building around any of that it seems like mooney sort of underperformed for a while and then beat everybody's expectations last year and more or less saved his job in some people's eyes and then had them, um, not a consensus number one, but a, a lot of national pundits has had them number one over slew as number two heading into this season. And certainly um, neither team has performed up to expectations, but how much of that do you think belongs um, 
uh, is COVID responsible for versus other factors? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because like you said, you know, he's, it, this has been a narrative that's been going for years. You've had the whole fire Mooney mafia. And, you know, like you said, what happened last year, they overperform second, the conference. Um, so it's, it's hard to always use COVID as a crutch for them because, you know, at the end of the day, they did lose Nick Sherrod for the whole year. Like that's not insignificant. That guy led the entire conference in three point shooting. So from a right. floor space perspective, you lose him. They've been without Connor Crabtree, who's their best offensive player off Who? the bench. No, I'm Connor Crabtree, he was I'm a two lane transfer. I'm messing, I'm messing with you. Sorry. <laughs> so, so there's, so again, like those aren't insignificant losses. And then, like we said, three COVID pauses, you know, that's really hard to deal with. You guys, St. Louis, like, you know, you came out and lost to Dayton. You lost to LaSalle off the COVID pause. Like, we know the data's out. I mean, Thanks when teams right come off there. these pauses, like, hey, you know what? We lost to LaSalle, too, off a of COVID pause. So, we can, we can all cry together. But yes. it's it, the data's out. So, it's like, again, you, you, you can't ignore that, right? Like, you have to admit, like, yes, COVID is making it difficult. But at the same time, every team's in the situation. And, and to a certain degree, it is in your control. VCU's only been paused one day this entire season. Um, so, so is it an explanation for why this team may be underperforming? Yes. Is it an excuse? Still probably not. I mean, at the end of the day, LaSalle's LaSalle. Like, you shouldn't be losing to LaSalle. Uh, if, if you're the preseason favorite, like at the end of the day, that's just what the story is. Um, Show some respect the, for the only fans, man. <laughs> it's just the inconsistency with this team. That's what the thing is. And mm-hmm. so it, it, how much do I blame COVID for this? I mean, COVID's probably exacerbated weaknesses and issues that were already existing within this team. I just think it's exposed them more. Um, so I don't know. It's it, I, I, I feel for Chris Mooney because this it really everything's gone wrong for them. That wasn't in their control, but They've also fucked up a lot of things that have been in their control as well. I, I want to talk, and I don't know, and I know you've kind of kind of sidestepped for good reason. Um, the John Hart, um, uh, John O'Connor, Chris Mooney relationship. But it really, like, I think Peter and I, while watching John O'Connor continuously defend Richmond's position on the pause, being that we spent time in St. Louis, I mean, I live in St. Louis. He spent a good portion of his college, his early life and college career in St. Louis. There's not a single journalist in St. Louis that would hold the kind of water that John O'Connor would, or that John O'Connor did for Chris Mooney and John Hart in the days after the cancellation. So, kind of run us through your take on how that relationship works because it is mind-blowing like we would get like chris may travis ford anybody in st louis university would get crucified in the post-dispatch for what happened but even up until like two weeks later john o'connor was still defending the position so run us through the relationship there between john o'connor and who he writes for and, and kind of the athletic department. Cause I think we're kind of, we kind of miss that in St. Louis. Yeah. You know, I'm not, again, sidestepping. I'm not really going to speak on, on. I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's, you know, like, I'm not trying to like to gotcha here. I'm just, I'm curious of this, whole, like that whole dynamic. It's wild for us. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I, I don't know. I can't say specifically, like I'm not going to have a take on John and how he does his journalism. Sure. He's been there for many years. Um, but what what I will say is that 
you know, it's a different market, right? Like the reason I've been able to become a pretty prominent voice in this market in two and a half years, like I didn't know who Chris Mooney was three years ago. Right. And like, now it's like, I think it's fair to say that like, I'm probably up there with JOC of who you think about with Richard media. And the reason I was able to do that is because it's a, it's a small market, right? Like when I got here, like John O'Connor is the only, there's other guys like, you know, some guys from local TV stations that are at games here and there, like Sean Robertson, Mark Davis are all most of the games, but in terms of like a beat reporter and guys that are literally there covering everything and everything that happens, like John O'Connor's literally been the only guy. So, you know, when you're in a market like that and you haven't had that much competition, you've been there forever. You went to the school, like, yeah, you're, I mean, you're going to have a pretty probably close relationship with the people because he's there. I mean, he's been talking to John Hart since he's, you know, been hired here. So again, like I defending him wise, I don't know. Like, again, it's when you're not, when you don't really have any competition, it's like John O'Connor's not going to get fired for any take he has because it's, he's the only guy. So, so again, I, I can't really speak on, no, yeah. you know, if you want to say he was defending them or whatnot, you know, I'd, I, I'm not really going to speak on that, but it, I, when you have I, a relationship with someone like that, it's just, it's a small market. No, you answered my question beautifully. Thank you. No, I, that was exactly kind of what I was curious about. Uh, but looking forward uh, to the game on, is it Friday? I, I think SLU plays. Yeah. I think it's Friday, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let's, what have you seen from Richmond this season? Give me three things to look out for with this Richmond team that the Billiken fans, that the average Billiken fan that maybe isn't watching Richmond on ESPN plus every, every other weekend, uh, give us three things to look out for with this Richmond team. Yeah. So I kind of leading up to this, I went back in and read my recap from the, uh, the St. Louis game, Richmond game last year. Uh, kind of see how like things have changed since then. And, you know, both these teams are pretty similar to last year, but with a few, you know, minor differences, obviously Gibson Jimerson didn't have him last year. Um, and, you know, for Richmond, right. Nick Sherrod's gone, but Tyler Burton's in the starting lineup. So, so if you want to look back to that, those are basically the two main differences I think that you look at, um, you know, I would say for this Richmond team, it's, it's super cliche. And I feel like I say this on every podcast, but for them, it's really hitting shots and being consistent. Like when they lost to you guys last year, in Richmond, I think they were four of 21 from, from three uh, against VCU the other night. They were missing a ton of open looks. Um, so, so for them, it's really just, especially a guy like Blake Francis, where he's such a volume scorer, takes a lot of mid-range shots, a lot of contested shots. And it's frustrating at times, but the thing is when he makes them, they can you know beat almost anyone. And in that game in particular, I think he was one of eight from three. I can go back and check that in that St. Louis uh, Richmond matchup last year. So again, it just shows like, they really just have to hit shots. So that's one thing that they definitely have to look out for. Um, turnovers. This team is one of the best at not turning the ball over. And, you know, the VCU game on Wednesday was kind of an enigma where they, I think they only had six turnovers in that whole game and, and still lost. But again, that was just more of a product of not hitting shots again. Uh, so, so for them, you know, that's, I think that's the biggest thing. And that was, again, going back to that game last year, Richmond had a six to 15 assist to turnover ratio against St. Louis last season that was their worst mark by far of that season they were top 25 going into the game uh in the country in that category so and you guys obviously Yuri Collins just came back off injury that's a guy that can really get after you and pick your pocket same with Jordan Goodwin um and and really this year Richmond I think even more than last year defensively has been exposed for the the shortness the the lack of height of their guards which is the opposite problem for St. Louis outside of Yuri Collins so just from a defensive standpoint I mean 
They're a team that's built on not turning the ball over. They didn't do it very well against St. Louis last time. So if, if you're Richmond, really, it's, you've really got to take care of the ball in this one against St. Louis. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this game. Obviously, every game scares me, given what we just watched on Friday night. Me too, um, man. Yeah. Pete, do you have any, any questions for Mr. Goldberg? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious about uh, Golden. What kind mm-hmm. of a factor do you see him being on Friday? I feel like anytime I've seen him lately, he's just he doesn't quite look like himself. Um, you, somebody mentioned uh, so, that to me, too. That's, yeah, it's yeah. funny you say that because, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good, funny you say that because somebody said, like, I was like, Golden's good, and they're like, not anymore. I was like, oh, okay. But finish. I'm sorry, Peter. I just wanted to point Well, that's, that's my question. I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, the guards and needing to shoot, and I see – how poorly Richmond shot against VCU the other night, you know, three of 19 from downtown and, um, you know, 20 for 61 overall, but wh- where's golden factor into this, uh, this, this larger narrative. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a big reason why I'm, I'm scared of this game on Friday because Grant had a, did not have a good game against St. Louis last year. Um, I think he was three eleven from the field. Uh, he really did not do that much. And I think that when you guys went with the two big starting lineup, when I think you had started Jimmy Bell in that game mm-hmm. and, but no, maybe he started most games, but he played a lot more than usual. He played like upwards of 20 minutes in that game alongside Hassan French. I think that gave Grant a lot of trouble uh, in the post. Um, so, and against Duquesne, whereas kind of similar to Slew, just in the way of Michael Hughes, really big, physical, strong, they kill you on the offensive glass. Um, and this, you know, yesterday, Saturday night um, against Duquesne, Michael Hughes, I think I want to say Duquesne had 11 offensive rebounds and, Really, in the last like eight minutes or so, Michael Hughes dropped twenty points. Like he was just grabbing everything in the offensive glass. This, I, I'm nervous. St. Louis could do the same thing. When you want to talk about Grant Golden, you know he had an okay game on Saturday. He had ten points, but eight rebounds, eight assists. But yeah, when you guys talk about him not looking himself, I, I think if there's a guy that's been the most affected by COVID this season, it's been him. You know, for him, this conditioning has been a big thing you know, kind of over his career. And I think what really let him take off last year on the defensive end specifically, there were two things. A, he dropped some weight, so he got in better shape in general. And his minutes also went down. Because people forget their sophomore year, they had no depth. He was playing upwards of 30 minutes a game, really hard as a big man. Um, So so for him, the on and off, and especially this most recent COVID pause where it was 19 days, I think he really was just out of shape over these last couple games. He just moves with heavy feet. Um, and he's a guy that's so active, like you guys talk about, you know, he's up in the high post, he's passing out of it, uh, setting screens, like he's just moving all over the floor. So, so yeah, for, for him, you know, this is a team where St. Louis is the worst matchup for Grant Golden in, in history. I mean, he's not a physical guy. Um, he's a, he's a finesse type of type of center. He's a point center. So yeah, he, he has not looked himself lately, although albeit again, a, a decent game Saturday night. So if I was, if I was St. Louis, I would try to play bully ball with Grant Golden and, until Richmond proves that they can step up and do anything about it. I would just keep going after that. Yeah, that worked last season for sure. And, and you mentioned shooting and turnovers. Those are, those are definitely two things I remember from Richmond um, last year is uh, they, they missed wide open looks. It's not like we were hounding them on the perimeter. They, they did miss a lot of shots that, you know, you make even three of those and it's, it could have been a different game. So definitely something to look out for. Um, anything can happen on Friday for sure. Yeah. And and kind of a weird thing with Richmond too, is I just saw, I was on Ken Palm today and again, this is for this season, but it kind of applies to last year too. If if you watch their games, they're really, for whatever reason, they shoot a lot worse at home. It really makes no sense. But like I I saw Ken Palm stat today because I saw this looking at St. Louis. Then I went and looked at Richmond. 
Ken Palm estimates St. Louis, I don't know however they use their scale, but essentially has the 15th best home court advantage just based on whatever metrics they use. I went and looked at Richmond's. Richmond was like 201st yeah. in Division One home court advantage. They really don't shoot the ball that well at home. Obviously, that game was at home last year. This time, they're going to St. Louis. Um, again, like lost to LaSalle at home this year, lost to Hofstra at home this year. Both games didn't really hit shots. So I am just interested to see like if they come out and, you know, just are draining threes, um, you know, in St. Louis. I don't know if that's going to affect it or not. And I tend to think these things are just kind of random coincidences, but it's really tough because it's now two straight years where Richmond honestly just shoots a lot better away from home, which is pretty unusual. I have I have two, actually three more questions. One being uh, a question because we couldn't get another stupid podcast on our on our show to to preview the next game. But first two questions are, what's the X factor going into this game between Billikens and Richmond? And then I would like your prediction. Yeah, so I I think for my X factor, it's it's really Tyler Burton in this one um, because. He's so uber talented. He's a double-double threat any night, but again, he's a sophomore. The rest of the starting lineup are, are seniors, so that's going to be like the most volatile guy of is he going to give it to you tonight or not. Um, he really struggled against VC Wednesday. He turned it up a little bit uh, on, on Saturday, and he actually, in, the, in that game last year against St. Louis, he got like 14 minutes in that game, and in that first half when Grant was really getting pushed around in the paint, they brought Tyler in and, and he really gave him a spark. Uh, I remember he like pinned a block against the backboard there. He was flying all over the glass. So, you know, when you're playing a team like St. Louis, that's so good on the glass and so physical, you know, that's a guy that really needs to step up. And again, he's actually been a good three point shooter this year, not at the volume Nick Sherrod was, but he's been a solid three point shooter. And when you're Richmond and, and your guards are just so short and St. Louis is just so lengthy and, and just flies around the court defensively, you know, when you have a guy that's six seven like Tyler Burton that can shoot threes and your two guards are struggling, you know, he's going to be the guy that can get his shots off better than anyone. So it's just a matter of does he hit him. Uh, so I think for me, for me, for this game on Friday, I, I really think we need a big game out of Tyler. Um, Prediction-wise, quite honestly, I, I don't feel great about this one. I really think it's going to be like a, like a 68-60 St. Louis win, I would say like that. But again, it's I, I think if Richmond comes out firing and they're just – looking really smooth and hitting their jumpers i think it could be a lot closer i've i had a discuss i've had a discussion with uh, every podcaster i've interviewed with in the a10 that i think if all the a10 podcasters put their heads together we could take vegas for a lot of money <laughs> we could just be like we all just collectively decide who's going to win a game and by what margin and then just everybody bets like 50 dollars on that game and then if we figure out if we've got it down like we should we can See, you're you're talking to the wrong guy. I am like, I'm a, I love to give gambling advice. I don't gamble because I really <laughs> suck at it. I'm really bad. I did the only one I hit is I hit I, or I gave it to my buddy. It was Richmond minus five first half against du, Duquesne on Saturday, and they were up. They're up seven at the half, and then Blake Francis with last possession. It's like 15 seconds on the clock before the half. Blake is just dribbling at the top. Michael Hughes, the center comes up and steals the ball from Blake, your, your shooting guard, runs the court in transition, and then somehow they, like, go get back on defense and they keep it at seven. But it was, like, in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, they literally almost just backdoor covered this. And Blake Francis almost just, it just turned it over to a center. So if you want to get gambling luck, don't get it for me because I literally almost just lost on the center stripping I, a guard. So. I have a good friend who played, uh, sp- played a sport at SLU. I won't, I won't say who it, like what sport because it will give it away. But uh, he'll text me like a game 
and most of the time VCU's involved. And so I sent him the the me like the picture of like uh, Vontae Mack, no matter what. But it was it was I crossed it out and just put VCU, no matter what. <laughs> like I don't care what you ask me, just VCU is going to cover. Uh, but that leads to me 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 to my next question because uh, the VCU podcast doesn't apparently want to deal with us on. <laughs> uh, give us you you you're in Richmond. Uh, Richmond just played VCU. Uh, what can Billiken fans expect Tuesday night against VCU? Which they have our game at five Central Time, which is an abomination. Yeah. Um, well, I think obviously the big question, right, is Bones Highland's health. Uh, it set looks like he had a had a leg injury, and in. I know against Richmond he didn't play his normal minutes. He actually sat a lot in the first half and had a great game. Scored twenty points on seven to twelve, but that was a game where he was also dealing with a knee injury. Um, so I don't know if that's the same. I didn't, I didn't follow it too closely this weekend. So I don't know if the knee he was dealing with last week is the same injury as this. I'm guessing it was, um, but I mean, it was significant. Like he, I, I think, I think Rhodes said leading up to the Richmond game, he like had not practiced like the entire week, literally hadn't practiced. And then like the day of was like, I feel good. I'm going to go. So obviously that's a big question mark, right? If, if, if Bones Highland doesn't play, I would be shocked if St. Louis lost that game. Um, if he does, I mean, you know, you know what you're going to get with VCU. I mean, they fly around, they, they run the havoc defense. They're super aggressive. They make you, they, they make you turn the ball over more than anyone else in the conference. Um, so, you know, if you're St. Louis, like your, your Collins really just needs to take care of the ball really well. Um, you know, they are strong, even though they don't have like one big man and Marcus Santos Silva obviously left, you know, he wasn't tall, but he played like he was six ten. Um, so they, they kind of will, will guard you by committee in the paint with guys like Hassan Ward and, you know, Levi Stockard. Um, so, so they they can play physical and they will run with you if you're St. If you're St. Louis. But again, I, I do think that's another matchup where you'd really look for Hassan French. Um, and, and quite honestly, from a defensive standpoint, even though they fly around as a team, you know, it's, I, I don't think they really have anyone that can guard Jordan Goodwin all that well. He's just so tall. And I, I just don't see, especially like if you, if you got a switch and you switch Ace Baldwin onto him instead of bones, like, Jordan Goodwin should take a small into the rim every single time. Noah, man, I really appreciate you coming on our show. You've been an, a, an amazing guest and you've provided, I think our fans, Billiken fans, I won't say our fans. Cause that's, that's, <laughs> that's like, that's egotistical, man. Like to our fan. Now it's Billiken fans. You've provided them with a ton of information. Uh, I can't thank you enough for, for taking time out of your Sunday to hang with us. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you on, on social media and, uh, and on uh, multimedia for that matter. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. It's, come on, it's Sunday. Like, I, I'm not doing homework. Like, you guys know I have nothing Atta to do. Atta baby. <laughs> um, Neither of us no, are doing so, homework either. We've been out of homework for – I've been out of homework for almost 10 years now. So, he's, he's, he's been out for – more, yeah. more, more, uh, more than 15 now. Atta boy. Getting close. We're, we're nearing the finish line, though, so I'm almost with you guys. Um, but yeah, so y'all, they, they can, you guys can follow me on uh, Twitter. That's where I'm doing most of the reporting, uh, at Noah Goldberg 10. Um, we do the spider scoop podcast with ESPN Richmond. So anyone who wants to li- listen to me, uh, ramble on some more about uh, spider basketball can, can go check that out on pretty much any platform. Well, before you go, there was a, there's a video that's kind of in billikins.com lore, uh, of, of, uh, Billiken spider, uh, highlights. And there's a guy that's like shooting the video from like the corner of the arena. And he's, he called, he's the spotters. Do you, have you seen this video or do you know who this guy is? I'm just curious. I don't think so. Okay. never mind then. 
but I'll send you the link. And it, but it's it was like a huge meme on the Billikens board like ten years ago. Super deep cut uh, mm. among the message board morons over there at Billikens.com. But Noah, I can't thank you enough, brother. You've been great on the show, and uh, and I hope you're doing well and and staying healthy and uh, you know both uh, physically and mentally because it's fucking crazy out here. It is same to you guys, man. I I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Be good, gentlemen. Um, look at let's let's move over to the women's side. Uh, a lot of fun stuff going on with Lisa Stone squad. Um, I, I'll skim over the first game. Uh, they beat. We talked about it a little bit on the pod last week because I was watching it while we were recording. Uh, the Billikens pulled out a win against uh, Richmond, who had been nipping at their heels in the standings. Um, they win. It was 62-57 at home. Uh, and then they went to Dayton. Uh, they were at Dayton the same time as the men's team. Perhaps they uh, they felt some sense of uh, of uh, revenge going in there, not only for themselves but for the men's team. And they pull off a 64-57 win. At Dayton, uh, I believe this is the first time uh, Slew has won at Dayton. I tweeted it out, and I don't even remember the uh, the the time, but I believe it's been since like 2016. I, and I don't know if that one even came against Slew. I think it, it was UD's first A10 home loss since 2016. I know that much. Um, yeah, they I, were on like a 36-game uh, yeah. streak. Yeah, yeah. So she, and, and we talked about this a lot on the last podcast, that uh, this, was, uh, this was something that Lisa Stone had to do, had to prove she could do. They had a nice four-game win streak going into this week, and they had two big opportunities, um, and they made a statement in both of them. Um, that Richmond game, like you said, Richmond was nipping at their heels, and that was a – that was a big one to win. I felt really good. You know, five, fifth win in a row. You get a big games out of Harbison, Flowers, and Kent. Flowers, man. Flowers yeah. was Flowers finally played with that fire in her belly that I've been looking for. I She's mean, been awesome. When she plays with passion and fire, I mean, there was a point in that game where she she might have pop, like broken skin on her hands clapping at the clapping at the bench. She was on yeah fire emotionally she was playing with passion with fire she was outstanding in this game she's scoring she's rebounding she's blocking shots she's done everything in this win streak she's been great um the freshman flowers is back that's right that's right yeah now we're now we're seeing all that potential um the win at dayton's huge though i mean there's the first place team there's the team that no one else in conference can beat flowers again 19 and 16 harbison and clark each have 14 and um, for the second game in a row, it's all about their defense. They held Richmond. Yeah, they held Richmond to a horrible shooting game. And then in in this one, UD goes thirty percent from the field um, and and thirty percent from three. The, the the really funny thing here is they wound up, even though Flowers had a good rebounding game, Slew on the whole didn't because um, Dayton was up with twenty four offensive rebounds. Magasa had nineteen herself. Yeah, they just can't – yeah, that's crazy. They can't convert anything in that game. It was just yeah. – I imagine it was a really frustrating game for them. But that's – I think this the, the story here for me is uh, the, the defense has really been the cause of this win streak. 
Yeah, when you watch women's basketball, it's interesting. I, I like I like watching women's basketball more than most people. Um, but the the tough thing when you watch is to try to figure out whether or not, whether or not the defense is really as good as as the commentators are putting making it out to be, or if you're just watching uh, people who play well below the rim try to throw things at the rim. Like, and I don't mean that as like an insult, or, but like in general, you're playing with like people who are my size at you know, in like eighth grade, eighth and high school, like it's much more difficult for them in the post. So it's hard to tell in the post whether or not it's defense or if it's just you're not making shots. Yeah, but I think shooting shooting outside tells mm-hmm. more of a story. Yes, though. 100%. At this level, they can all hit open shots. 100%. From, yeah. So, so to hold Richmond and, and Dayton to such poor shooting days um, from the three-point line, um, I think is more telling. It just seems like they're – their uh, their defense has really been great lately, and uh, and yeah, six in a row. Let's see how long they can keep it going. I know to to win a game when when Aaron Whalen for Dayton scores twenty points on four or seven from three, uh, and shoots about uh, a little under fifty percent from the field. Um, that's a and Magasa pulls in nineteen rebounds. The, I think I think the word I want to use to describe the Billiken women's team in this game is poise. Because we spoke about it when Slu played Dayton in, in St. Louis, that there was no poise at the end of that in overtime. They really fell off. And there were times where Dayton made their runs and made a play at the game and even took the lead in the fourth quarter. But Slu held their ground and held, you know, they, they said, not this time. And they made shots. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, Dayton's not going to have that kind of shooting night, no matter what you do to them every time you see them. Um, but this is the kind of game that it seems like there's been a mental thing during mm-hmm. those down years in terms of running into Dayton in conference. That's Dayton is who has bounced them from the A-10 tournament several times. So More than their fair share. It's the kind of game that going into the A-10 tournament, which is the only avenue into the NCAA tournament right, um, right. this season. Any season uh, in the A-10 yeah, for the most part, yeah. Um, but now you run into Dayton in the A-10 tournament, and it's like, well, we know we could beat them. So I, th- I, th- I just think this is, this is huge for the mentality. And, and like you say, showing that kind of poise, um, no matter what Dayton throws at you next time, you know you can hang with them. Yeah, it was, it was really good to see, and I, I'm so happy for, for Coach Stone. Uh, I, think, I think she's just done an outstanding job. And, and as we say every time, uh, this program has stunk for 50 years. Is it 50 years? I don't know. They've yeah. stunk for a long time. Uh, they have not been good. They have not reached an NCAA tournament in their history. Um, and, and this could be, I mean, if Fordham doesn't play in the tournament, anything can happen. Now. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I, we haven't seen the Billikens play Fordham yet this season. Uh, Fordham has a good team. Uh, but, uh, speaking of which, uh, the Billikens will go on uh, Friday and they will go to Davidson, um, and play them on, like I said, Friday. Uh, this is a, this is a decent Davidson uh, women's basketball team. They usually put out um, a solid squad uh, this year. There, but this year's been tough for them. Eight and eleven, five of eight in conference. So a good chance to continue this uh, this hot streak that they're on. Uh, and then they're supposed to play Fordham on Sunday, which, as we noted, uh, Fordham 
as a whole is on pause. So we don't really know who they're going to play. Uh, there's going to be some schedule changes with the tournament. So they said they could add up to four games in a week. So uh, it's going to be a wild finish for these ladies. It is. And they've, they've got some time before this Davidson game, which I, I – I don't know what to make of that because so much of this win streak, these games have been so compressed. It's come in a relatively short span of time. So now to have, um, you know, six days off, five, or I guess it'll be close to, yeah, it'll be six days off by the time they play. Um, hopefully that's a good thing. Hopefully they'll, they're well rested. They've got to go down to Davidson. Um, so, uh, who knows what's going to happen after that, you know, with Fordham sitting out, but, uh, Got to love the way they're playing, and, and hopefully it holds with a little bit of rest here. Um, with the uh, – we'll, we'll move on to um, just kind of recap uh, soccer, baseball, softball. Um, soccer had an interesting week. They actually didn't play men's soccer. Uh, they've rescheduled Butler for uh, Monday when you'll hear this. Uh, it'll be 1230 on Monday. Um and then Friday, they'll play Xavier. And they're going to play those both at Grand Park. We talked a little bit about that uh, when we talked about uh, the women's team. So it'll be interesting how they, how they do there. It's, it's, it's crazy to see kind of a bubble. Um, a, yeah. a bubble, yeah, in men's soccer where it's, everyone's just kind of, hey, everybody come to Indiana and play games. Right, and they're playing in a literal bubble too. Because yeah. They're freezing everywhere. But um, it's good opportunities here. Two Big East teams in a row. Um, I don't think Butler's very good this season. They've nope. got two losses uh, to SIUE, who we've already seen, and then Western Michigan. Um, Xavier's a pretty solid program, though. They've got wins over East Tennessee State and Bellarmine, uh, who's, who's moved up to D1. And then they have an overtime loss to number 12, Kentucky. So there's an opportunity there for a big win. Um, and the, the, you know, the men's only loss this season is that heartbreaker to Marquette. So a lot of big East for them, um, this year. And it'd, it'd be nice to, to grab a couple wins this week. Funny enough, you mentioned Bellarmine, man. What a, what a year for that school moving up to D one. They've, they've kind of run train on the a sun yeah. uh, in basketball. Uh, they've always had a really solid soccer on, on both men's and women's side. So, so top, top marks to those uh, to that school and that administration for really uh, making the most of their transition to D1. Yeah. It looks like uh, it, the decision's paying off. They're not going to be eligible for the men's basketball tournament this year. Unfortunately. Oh, uh, I think they're still a couple years away from being eligible, but uh, you know, so, so somebody like uh, is going to have to play out of that, uh, that conference, but uh, um, you know, which is a shame because yeah. Bellarmine is, 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 the best team in the conferences here already. Um, moving on to the, the women's side of things. Uh, unfortunately, we did not get to see uh, the uh, inaugural meeting between Southern Illinois and, and the Billikens. That was postponed. Uh, I want to give full marks to uh, St. Louis University Athletic Department and, um, you know, women's soccer SID uh, for setting up this uh, Illinois State game uh, at Lou Fuse. Uh, the stream was fantastic. Uh, after we watched the men's stream against Marquette, uh, I can't tell you how happy I am that, that we, you know, cover uh, an athletic department that actually puts out decent streams with different, decent commentators um, that can actually tell what's going on. Uh, but uh, 
Sloopway, Illinois State at uh, the Lou Hughes Athletic Training Center. Uh, like I said, they put out a great stream uh, for a tough situation. Started a little late, but we'll, 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 uh, we'll let that go. Um, the seventh mi- eighth minute, uh, Emily Gork gets on the board with her second goal of the year, gives the Billigans a one nothing lead. Uh, Anna Walsh, also her second goal of the year in the 42nd minute, uh, adds a brace. Uh, Abby Bosler for Illinois State uh, right before halftime in the 45th. And then Abby Miller uh, for the Billikens in the 72nd uh, finishes it off. Billikens win 3-1. Uh, this, I mean, yeah, you know what? You go in, it's a tough situation. You're playing on turf. Uh, you're not used to it. Um, you're playing indoors in a facility with a smaller field. Um, good job by uh, Katie Shields and her squad on this one. Yeah, they moved to 3-0 on the year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've, they've, I guess, given up a few goals that, aren't ideal to teams that they should be beating. Um, but they're still taking care of business. They're winning. And uh, that, that's all you can ask for, um, you know, from a young team. And they've got a good opportunity coming up uh, on the road. Yeah, agree. Oh, speaking of which, uh, they will head to Arkansas. Beautiful soccer facility down there in Fayetteville. Um, it's, it's very nice for, uh, you know, they have, I think they have luxury boxes for crying out loud. Uh, but it is a beautiful facility. Unfortunately, you know, I don't know what the fan situation is. That's a bummer. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, Arkansas got some games in the fall. Uh, they played, uh, let's see, 10 games in an SEC schedule, uh, last being the SEC tournament final and a 3-1 loss to Vanderbilt. Um, they will play, uh, they'll play Missouri State on Tuesday the 23rd at home. And then, obviously, the Billikens on Sunday uh, in Fayetteville. And then Billikens will come back home, and they'll take on uh, a, uh, an Oklahoma State team that, uh, again, I don't – you know what? I don't really know much about because they, they played a fall schedule. Um, but they were tough last year. Uh, it was a weird game for the Billikens. I can't remember who was in goal uh, for the Billikens, but she had a rough go of it, uh, a couple of uh, mental mistakes – but I think the Billikens should obviously come away with two wins here. Uh, they're they're kind of you know they're they're a roll they're a rock rolling downhill, and I don't know if either of these two teams can stop them. Yeah, they're a con- they're a young team, but a confident team, mm-hmm. and uh, they really play well together. So you know, Arkansas and Oklahoma State coming from major conferences, um, they're not the best teams in those conferences, but you still uh, it, it looks good whenever you beat SEC Big Twelve teams. So. Um, you know, big opportunity, and then they'll have they have the potential to have a undefeated record going into a ten play. Yeah, I, I'm excited about where this women's team's going, especially being a young team. Um, baseball, uh, they played Kennesaw State this weekend. Uh, they took the initial game of the series eight to seven, uh, lost the second and third. They lost the next three games, uh, unfortunately, five one. Uh, 2-1 and then lost today. I believe I don't have it up because I am a terrible radio host. They were down 2 nothing in the fifth last I saw. Yeah, no, they, they came back and they I believe they brought it within a run and then uh, could not get over the hump. It was a 5-4 five, yep, five, loss. So they dropped a 1-3 and three on the season. Uh, not the start. Uh, Hendricks in a 1, but... When you go down south and play these southern teams, man, anything can happen. These these teams get good players. They 
it's 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 crazy the the depth of talent that you can find in these Olympic sports. It is, yeah. They have the advantage of being able to train, you know, outdoors on their field year round. Um, there's 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 definitely some advantages to it. Kennesaw State's only been in D one for about fifteen years for baseball, mm-hmm. um, but they're a pretty nice program. They're usually just a little over five hundred every year. Um, so you know, no shame in losing a couple games to them. Uh, agreed, and I think people forget that D one is not the end all be all for baseball. Right. Uh, because it's such an individualistic sport, um, the best players go anywhere. They don't really care. Um, it's not like basketball, not like uh, football, where you can kind of you have to go to D one. You can go to a junior college or a, a low low level program and still get drafted pretty quick, pretty pretty easily in, in the MLB draft. So um, coming up for the men's baseball team, uh, they'll be back home. It's going to be cold. It's going to be a fun weekend for them. Uh, 26th through the 28th, they'll take on North Dakota State four times. Um, a double uh, a game at 3 o'clock on Friday, 3 o'clock Saturday, uh, and then they'll come back and play at 6, same day Saturday, and then 12 p.m. Uh, Sunday. So um, – you know, we'll see. We'll see how they do. Uh, they've played North Dakota State quite a bit uh, in the past. So uh, hopefully Hendrickson's team can right the ship. They're coming back with about the same team they had last year. So I don't see this team uh, being down for too much longer. No, for sure. And, the, and they'll definitely be competitive in the A-10. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were picked fourth or fifth. But, uh, but yeah, they'll be in the mix for it for sure. Yep. Um, no, I want to I wanna thank everybody for listening. Um, uh, final thoughts from you on uh, on the week that was in Billiken Athletics. Uh, anything to you know, so a little pep talk maybe for Billiken Basketball Nation after the uh, the rough Friday night we had. Just onward and upward. You know, I, I can't deny the fact that uh, we went from probably being just barely in the tournament to just barely out of it mm-hmm. with our net ranking dropping from uh, thirty two to forty seven um, overnight with that loss. Um, so it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but we definitely have the talent to rattle off these next three. And then, um, you know, I, I don't think one or two wins is going to be enough in the A-10 tournament. I, I think we need to at least be in the final. Yep. Um, and we, we, at this point, probably need to win it. I don't know. But I think we need to get to the, the you know, I, I think we need to get out of Richmond, that Richmond weekend undefeated in the A-10 tournament. And Hopefully we're playing in Dayton on the 14th of March. Yeah, I, I'm excited for uh, what's to come. I'm always excited for what's to come. If it's Billikens, I'm excited. Uh, don't forget that you can find us on uh, on Twitter at Midtown Mad Pod. Uh, you can find Peter at Peter is a tweeter. You can find me at Zach Miller, MMP. Um, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of, of Peter, myself, and I'll thank you. Uh, as well on behalf of Noah Goldberg, who I, I appreciate him coming on the pod. Uh, and I want to thank everybody for the support over the last few weeks, just trying to get this going. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're telling your friends and, and family who are Billiken fans who may want to listen. Uh, I just appreciate everybody. Um, you guys are great. And I uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Peter, thank you so much again for, uh, for taking time away from your fam bam to, uh, to do this pod with me. Same with you, Zach. And uh, as always, thanks a lot, man. Yep. Take it easy. Go Bills. You too. See ya. Go Bills.